Hey listeners, welcome back to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy, and you have returned to part two of Speaking in Tongues, A Christian's Claim to Flame. We're about to jump into the podcast where Wes is responding to some pushback he had for Andy regarding the historical relevance to speaking in tongues for the people in Corinth in relation to them being so close to Delphi that they would have an understanding of spiritual practices. Before we get to the podcast, I want to remind you that our end of the year giving campaign called Reach Canada is in full swing. Thank you so much to everyone who has already been donating. It's well on its way. We're so excited and really honored that people would continue to partner with us as we pursue bringing the gospel across Canada. And coming up at the end of the month, we have our next ACLE, the gospel according to TikTok. Who is Jesus? And how do we know that what we read about in the biblical gospels is an accurate portrayal of that Jesus? This may seem like an odd question, but it's connected to many important issues surrounding the Bible. Is the Christianity practiced today the same as the one believed and practiced by the apostles? Join Wes and Steve on Sunday, November 26th for our next round of the AC Literary Expedition. We will look at select TikTok videos, weigh their claims, and use them as a springboard for a time of discussion and Q&R about the Bible and early Christianity. You will also have an opportunity to read a Gnostic gospel and see for yourself whether it belongs in the Bible. So head to apologeticscanada.com ACLE to register for our online event. This again will be on Sunday, November 26th, 46 p.m. Pacific Standard Time or 7 to 9 Eastern Standard Time. Again, head to apologeticscanada.com slash ACLE. Now, let's get into the episode. Can I, can I provide some devil's advocate? Oh, of course. So, I figured as much. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think it's an interesting hypothesis. I don't know if I'm fully convinced that it's necessarily in the purview of the Corinthians. If for no other reason than... So I looked up the Plutarch section in the Greek, and it uses very specific words to describe the speech that's happening, none of which are used by Paul. And Paul uses the standard word, some form of glossolaleo, uh, speaking in tongues, whereas the words that are described in the Plutarchian passages are much more emphatic and are closer to talking about battling than what Paul is talking about. So I think if, if I was to say there is a direct connection, I would say it, it might be a correlation, but causation linguistically. I don't think is there. So we're we're not we're not in disagreement there. Okay. Uh, that that's what's being debated, and a lot of people would agree with you on that. Uh, as would I. I don't think that when we look at the oracle, we have exactly what's happening with the the church in Corinth, and and nor am I trying to say that. But what I what I am saying is, I think without a question that the oracle provides context to what's happening in Corinth that we don't find anywhere else from a regional I don't know if I would agree with that either. Okay. Why would that be? Because the similarities are way too similar. Added to the fact that why would God do that there that he wouldn't do it anywhere else doesn't make any sense to me. And they're not confused by it. They have an immediate understanding of what's taking place. It's not weird to them. I would say that parallels are tricky because when we capitalize on parallels, we often capitalize on what's similar rather than what's different. So um, I don't think that what Paul is talking about is going into sort of a trans state like the Oracle. Uh, I don't think that the interpreter, who had to be a, a very specific person in terms of being 
a uh, either one of the two priests of Apollo at the temple or someone who had the authority to have a divine prerogative in terms of an emperor or king. I think Paul, when he, he talks about an interpreter, he's talking about anybody who has the ability to interpret within the community. So I think, I think I'm not saying it couldn't be, I, I think it's, it's a possibility, but I think just because it's possible doesn't necessarily mean it's probable. And I think the kind of extreme illusion of the pagan um, prophetic speech would have been perverse to the first century Jewish audience that Paul is writing to in Corinth. Uh, Paul, do, Paul refers to them as pagans. The, the Corinthians? Yeah. Writing to the Corinthians. Okay, yeah, that's, that's fair. But he's framing it within the fact that he's still talking and, about believers here. And I, I'm going to push back again. We don't, we don't need to settle this, but I'm going to push back again because Paul does two things here. I would argue that, that the Greeks were influenced a lot by Dionysus, the god of wine. Mm-hmm. And I would also argue by the oracle. And you see but Paul dealing with both of those in Corinthians. And in particular, as we lead up to the speaking in tongues, he talks about uh, the he talks about that issue, the Dionysian issue, and people behaving in those ways in the church, particularly when he needs to instruct them with how to actually properly uh, have communion. So my argument, and again, you don't have to hold my argument. You're totally fine to disagree. And it's good that we can show people kind of pushback as we're going back and forth on this. And I'm sure you got more pushback, which is fine. But, and I'll give you that second, that in just a moment. All I'm saying is, I do think that we need to appreciate the context that something's happening in, in a way that a people understand uh, spirituality that God I believe, uses. Uh, We see that with Abraham. We see that with Moses. We see that throughout the Old Testament. We see that within the New Testament. And I would argue we still see it today. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. um, I think you might have convinced me, but not in the way that I think you're articulating it. Um, as, as I, that was a, you're right, no, but no, I'll never no, tell no, you. No, no, it's interesting because <laughs> as, as, I was reading the passage bef- before we, we started the podcast. And I think you're right actually now that I, I reflect on it in Paul's corrective nature of what the Corinthian church is doing in terms of almost making it like a competition of who can, yeah. you know, and, and, and alluding to, you know, this is, this is pagan in trying to evoke this gift, this, this, this spiritual thing. And, and so in that sense, he could very well be alluding to what's going on in places like Delphi. So in that sense, I think you've actually convinced me, but, but I don't (laughs) think, I don't think it's an issue of like when you and I were in Egypt, Andy, and we saw, we saw circumcision being depicted. I think what, what that is when we know that the ancient Egyptians prior to Abraham were practicing circumcision and then when God tells Abraham to circumcise his offspring, there's like a sanctification of that. It's something that would have been culturally understood, and God is using it in a new way to symbolize something that he is making good. I think, I think that's a different thing than what's going on here, where Paul is critiquing the Corinthians, and he's saying, you're acting more pagan than you should be for this 
particular act. Whereas I think in the the example of circumcision, that's God saying, no, this thing that you're associating with paganism, that actually has become something that I'm going to use for the purpose of my people. I, I would agree uh, with you, Wes. Now, let me just throw you something back your way to f- just to ask, how would you put this in the mix? Paul explains that he speaks in tongues and does more so than the rest of them. Than anyone, right? Yeah. So this is clearly something that he sees is, yes, is pagan, but also that he participates in and that God's, clear, God's clearly using. Oh, not that speaking in tongues is pagan. No, 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 not that. I think what Paul is talking about is something that's different, that the gift of spiritual tongues is different than what's going on in, in Delphi, and that he's critiquing them and, and saying, don't be like that, be someone who's led by the spirit in a way that's different than how the pagans operate. In a similar way, when he says, you know, don't pray like the pagans do when they babble. But but right. when you pray, you know, and then he, he lays that out. Right. So so we're in we're in complete agreement then in, in this regard. Yeah. <laughs> we, we got there. Yeah. We got there. Best friends. <laughs> Best friends. Yeah. 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 So Best friends. That, which is all good. It's always good for people to be a part of that journey. So that's that's ultimately what I'm getting at, because now what does Paul do in first first Corinthians chapter 12 to 14? He mm-hmm. he corrects. And he guides them in how they should be. And I want to take a moment to talk about this, guys, because I think this is really critical. And sometimes gets so lost on people, okay? You need to appreciate 1 Corinthians 12 to 13 is an argument that Paul is like putting forward. And if you separate that and you start preaching 1 Corinthians 13 at weddings, which is fine, don't don't get me wrong. Uh, I'll preach 1 Corinthians 13 all the time. Come on, man. You need to appreciate first its context. And its context is in the midst of a church in division that is trying to outdo each other, Wes, as you're saying, by how spiritual they are within, I would argue, within a first century Corinthian context. Uh, of, of, from out of their paganism of how spiritual are. And, and Paul challenges them. I love this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? Paul says, and now I'll show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the yeah. tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal, right? He's saying, I'm just making noise with my life. Yeah. If I'm, you know, speaking in these angelic languages. But ultimately what Paul is pointing these guys to is that ultimately they are to be a church that's united. And what are they united in? Well, their love for one another. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that really gets to, you know, this, this conversation as, as a whole, because this conversation, I won't say this conversation causes disunity, but people have allowed it to cause disunity amongst the body. And that's why you have these polar opposites, right? But I, I'll say this, like, just to give people a prime example, I am a, I am a worship leader. I am a recording artist. I absolutely love music. It is embedded in me. And I believe, I believe that we have been called to worship God with music and instruments. I do. I believe that there's nothing wrong with that. This past weekend, I met someone from the Church of Christ, and he was the most loving, encouraging. We had a great conversation. But for so many years, I always wondered what that would be like. What a person who's from the Church of Christ. And for those that don't understand what that, what I'm getting at is in the Church of Christ, they don't recognize instruments of any, of any kind. They, uh, as far as what I understand, and you better sing, you better be a good singer, man. (laughs) Exactly. You, you tenors, (laughs) come to the front row, right? 
<laughs> and I always wondered, I'm like, would a person from the Church of Christ ever want to be in the midst of music? How could they possibly engage? But when I met this gentleman, he didn't say anything to, to deter me from music or anything of the sort. So you see a, a doctrinal difference. I won't say a doctrinal disagreement per se, because I think that can go the wrong route, but you see a doctrinal difference not causing division. Now, Troy, I want to highlight this, though, because I think this is a primo example of what we're talking about here. The kinds of instruments we play today and that we like is culturally informed. And do I believe that God will use that to his glory and use it to bring about our spiritual edification? Yes, yes, and yes. Yeah, Yeah. although I would make one clarification in that I don't think that's a doctrinal difference. I think that's a theological difference. Because I think doctrine would entail like the the perspectives we hold that are essential, that there are doctrinal things that are on the periphery, but that is more of the, the technical term is called adiophora. It's like the things on the outside. So it's not the core of of the belief system. So I think if someone is making a doctrinal statement and they're including types of music, they're probably missing the point. They're probably making, uh, they're probably majoring on a minor in a way that will almost always lead to some type of imbalance. Okay. Yeah, that's a good distinction. But I, I think that this is a good way, though, to highlight kind of the conversation that we're having here is notice, and this I think is the beauty, and this is why I changed my position on tongues. Even though I saw it abused and done terribly, and and I would completely disagree with what that church was doing, because I think they got caught up in something else. Uh, I think they got caught up in a type of charismatic legalism, if you will. But Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I, I would argue that I actually, so I would hold that I think tongues hasn't ceased. I just think God hasn't stopped using what resonates in a culture to point to his glory and to use it for his good purposes. Uh, but we, but we, of course we need to be careful there because there are some things that God's like, I am not going to share my glory with, yeah. uh, these sorts of divination things or, or various other issues that are, are actually, uh, worshiping other gods sort of idea. So I, I do want to be careful what I'm saying there, but that's why I think yeah. instruments is such a good example right now that I think connects with us. Yeah. Things that are explicitly mentioned within scripture that we should not participate in, right? Like, Correct. like um, using tarot cards for the glory of God is doing something incorrectly, right? Like yeah, yeah, sorcery yeah, yeah. and divination is specifically outlined as something you should not do. Whereas musical instruments, there's, yeah. there's almost uh, like a neutrality to them. Because an instrument that can be used, say, I don't know, to praise Satan, if that's a thing, um, can, can be used to glorify God. And in that sense, there's, there's, a, there, there's a neutrality to it in that the user directs whether it's being used for a good purpose or a, a, an evil purpose. Whereas something like a Ouija board, tarot cards, you know, anything that's associated with that, that is something that is specifically designed and oriented for something that is the antithesis of what is good, what is beautiful, and what is biblical. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, a good point. I absolutely agree. And I think that, that that's a really uh, important point for people to appreciate. Now, when you're looking mm-hmm. at what Paul's getting at in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, his big point is unity in the church. That, yeah, we all have these different 
gifts and abilities, but they are meant to come together as the hand and arm and foot and leg and the head of a body all come together in one church. You and I are all meant to work as one. And what is that unifying factor, of course, that we were mentioning? That is love. Now, I think that there's an interesting correlation, what's going on in 1 Corinthians and what's going on today, that speaking in tongues, if you're not careful, can really be similar to the extreme individualism that we see of today, and almost like a jostling of position of, look how spiritual I am, or, you know, kind of like that, kind of like an influencer culture of the first century that I think that we need to, that we could actually pay attention to and go, man, there's a lot that I could learn here about what spirituality looks like, uh, where we're saying that there's a difference between, hey, it's me and Jesus versus, hey, it's us and Jesus together. And so what does it look like then to use the gifts and abilities God's given each one of us as individuals as one family, as one body? Much like what you're saying, Andy, like the way I kind of hear it is, is there's a big difference between relational practice and a performative and I think when we start sliding into things that are, as you were saying earlier, oh, you don't do this? Well, you haven't received the Holy Spirit. By, by what grounds do you, can you say something of that nature? I believe God is so much more focused on what brings unity. When I see our denominations and I see what different denominations often focus on or present, I find beautiful things like, for example, Apologetics Canada. We could, we go into so many different church contexts. Yeah, I think it's a very special thing that as we get to travel and experience God's creation and his people groups, much like you're talking with Corinth, you start to get context to why people worship the way they do. You take a, 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 an African church, and many people may walk into an African church and see them like jumping and dancing and celebrating. But you're also looking at potentially the context of a people that have a history of bondage, have a history of the, the church, the Bible being used to keep them enslaved, being, being used to oppress them. But now there's been a freedom, bodily freedom, but now a spiritual freedom has happened. So their worship is coming off the backs of people that celebrated liberation, and it's carried through their from generation to generation. Well, let let me press that, though, because I I, I agree with you, Troy, but I would want to bring it back into that cultural context again, in Mm -hmm. that these are are familiar ways to them that God uses, and that shouldn't be weird to us. Because I think, to your point, if you go into a church that doesn't use drums or that doesn't use instrument at all and be like, oh, that's wrong, it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What's to say that that's wrong? Like that—that's yeah. a legitimate that form of worship, versus yep. going into an African, you know, church that is singing and dancing, which, interestingly enough, would be actually closer to the Old Testament than we are. That's for sure. Let's go there. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Don't go there. That's a different podcast. I mean, so the the, oh, the caveat um, to what you're saying, Troy, is because I think I think two things can be true at the exact same time, and this isn't directly related to what we're talking about with tongues. But I think it is true that unity does not mean uniformity, and that we look different yeah. and we yeah. have different yeah. perspectives. And I think in that sense, I'm actually pro-denomination. I, a lot of people get on like on the the train of, you know, the disunity within denomination. I think that exists, but I also think we don't all look the same. I don't look like Troy or Steve. I look a little bit more like Andy, um, but with hair. 
Uh, and so I uh, had to go there, but, and I think that's good, right? We, we look diverse and the body of Christ will both look diverse and have diverse perspectives as long as we agree on the cent- centrality of it. But then I think yeah. there's also the flip side of that is Luther and him saying unity, if possible, truth at all costs. And in that sense, yep. I think there is, there is a time to divide when truth is being compromised. And when we're talking about something like what is very culturally relevant right now in terms of progressive ideology and uh, breaking down essentials to Christianity, then I do think that there is a a time where for the purpose of unifying the true church, we do need to disassociate ourselves from some groups. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. Now, I want to talk on one more issue before we uh, come in for a landing here. This one, I think, will be good for us to discuss. I'm sure, Wes, you'll have something to to say to this. But notice in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, and by the way, we don't have time on this podcast. I wish we did. I would read chapters 12, 13, and 14. Please, on your own time, please, please, please go read those chapters. It put, it'll put everything we're talking about into its proper biblical context as Paul is correcting this church. But notice what he says here. He says in chapter 14, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For everyone who speaks in uh, a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mystery by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. I want to bring this up because there's a lot of Christians that read that, and I don't think they really understand what Paul means by prophecy. Because I think no. a lot of people think, oh, prophecy is about telling the future. So I should have the gift of being able to tell the future. No, I, I as I read this, I look at whenever I, I think of prophecy, the prophetic, I should always be able to track that back to scripture. Yes. That whatever is being released, and I, and I believe this wholeheartedly, if someone came up to you, Andy, and said, hey, Andy, I have a prophetic word. I don't think Andy should run and be like, no, 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 I don't. I don't, I don't hear prophecy. I think Andy should be listening for ears to what, what is based in scripture, not just in, Hey, I see this general thing in your future, potentially that based on how I see you already as a speaker, you could go into. So for example, if I were to go up to Andy and say, Hey, Andy, I just believe God wants to put you in front of thousands. Well, Andy's already a speaker, (laughs) you know, Andy already is going to places, right? If you just want to go and encourage somebody, go and encourage somebody. But what Paul, I believe, is saying here, when, when he speaks about prophecy, it's a word that is specific to Scripture. As we see Jesus, you know, for example, Jesus fought off the devil, what I would say with prophetic word that was actually spoken in Deuteronomy. He didn't just make up random things. He spoke something from Deuteronomy. Um, so that's, that's what I look at it. We would say that there's a difference between future telling and forth telling. And yes, what you particularly see Paul talking about here is probably more akin to what we would call preaching, that you are doing exactly what you're saying, Troy. You're going back to, to Scripture. The authority isn't you or some sort of you know mystical language that you're speaking or angelic tongue that you're speaking. The authority is God's Word, and it shouldn't surprise us then that you see the apostles, you see Jesus constantly referencing Scripture. 
that they are wanting to know what it, what does it have to say to our lives? What does Scripture have to say? So I might have a differing perspective here because I would say actually that um, biblically there's a difference between preaching and prophesying. And they're related and they're very similar, yeah. but I would say that prophecy is the proclamation of the words of God. So in, in the Old Testament sense, you see that in the literal words of God. However, I think per the uh, words of Hebrews 1, that that type of prophecy has ceased in that there is no latter-day revelation. Nobody is speaking with a thus saith the Lord statement. And if they did, they should immediately call Zondervan and Crossway and add it to the Bible. Let, let's pause there for a moment. Let's just expand on that because this is an important point, yeah. Wes. Why, why would that be significant? Like, like drill down on that for a moment. I think that's important for people to appreciate why we're saying that, that prophecy in this regard has ceased. Well, because I think, as as the the author of Hebrews says, that God communicated through humanity in many ways in the past, but now the main way that that is done is through the Son. And so we have that and message. Just pause there for a quick moment. Yep. When you read Hebrews 2, all of that that happened in the past was pointing to Jesus. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And that there there's a progressive revelation that ceases with the new covenant. When the new covenant comes, and this is related to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, in that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit happens in kind of sprinkles in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, it's a normative position for those who are under the blood of Christ. And so there's something special and new, and we have the words of Christ that he gives the authority of that proclamation of the gospel to when he goes in his ascension, he gives that to the apostles. And so that's why the early church, when they're first recognizing the canon of scripture, their first kind of standard was apostolicity. Can we connect it to someone who knew an apostle or someone who knew someone who knew an apostle? Because that that's where the authority lies. And so in that sense, there's a ceasing of that in that the closing of the canon happened with the last apostle dying. And so the prophecy then is not the Old Testament prophets standing up and literally relaying God's words to the people of Israel, because we have those words to God's people in the scripture of the 66 books of the Old and the New Testament. And I would say where I differ with that and preaching and teaching is that that is something where there is the words of God that are explicated, they're uh, interpreted, and then that's made into an application, an understanding and application by an elder, by a pastor, to the congregation. Whereas uh, I would say prophecy could look as, as simple as, you know, uh, conveying the words of God from Scripture in an evangelistic way or in an encouraging and edifying way to the body of Christ. Yeah, I, I think I'd agree. I mean, this kind of gets into something which we may bring up on another podcast because I recognize what many people would know as the fivefold ministry gifts as as Paul outlines those. So when I when I look at the prophetic, I don't think that we should be so afraid of a person who walks in the prophetic and, and recognizing that for what it is. But I think there's a difference between a prophetic moment and a person who walks in the office of a prophet. I really do believe there's a very big difference. Well, and not just that the scripture is serious about it, but Deuteronomy 20, or it's Deuteronomy 18, 20 to 24, I think it is, specifically says that if you are prophesying and what you prophesy does not come true, then you're a false prophet and you need to be put to death. 
And so I think, you know, we people who are claiming to do that now really need to take that seriously, not in that they should look to be killed, but that there's a there's something that is very, very serious about claiming to speak on the authority of God when you're not actually doing that. Absolutely. It is interesting, by the way, that on the charismatic side, you have people, you know, giving prophetic words. But on the conservative side, you have also people giving prophetic words, but they're just different. I find that people on the conservative side like to give prophetic word to the end times and who's the Antichrist and those sorts of things. They seem quite comfortable to do that. Whereas in the charismatic, more leaning congregations, it's more about, you know, maybe what God's placing on your heart to tell somebody else. Uh, interestingly enough, Troy, I'm, I'm with you. I'm quite happy with that. Uh, I don't have I don't have a problem with that. I just want to always bring everything back to scripture. And I always, always. take what somebody has to say uh, with uh, an open hand, grain of salt sort of idea. But because I've had moments that God has used these, these miraculous events or things in your life, and you're like, man, I just can't dismiss that. And it leaves you in attention. And I'm sure, uh, Wes, it's left you in a bit of attention as well with what you've also experienced in your own life of God's healing in your life and, and how that, you know, what am I supposed to do with that? Uh, mm. Although I'm not of the opinion, by the way, that this is like normative in the sense that I should be looking for this everywhere all the time. Even Troy, you and I even talked about this, where there can be these amazing moments that you have with the Lord in worship. Yeah. And to try to normalize that, that every time you go to church or ha- or go to some event, you're going to have that that kind of experience, or to try to replicate that, I think gets it real problematic real quick. Classically, Andy, that is classical cessationism, that the spiritual sign gifts have ceased in their normative position. So that is how I would define myself as a cessationist in the way that it has been classically defined, particularly um, throughout the Reformation, but going back to the early church, in that the normative position of the spiritual sign gifts of things like prophecy and speaking in tongues were normative in the apostolic period to build up the foundation of the church, but now they are not normative. Yeah. See, and I, I would disagree because I would say they weren't normative in in the apostolic period. Yeah, I would even go that far. I don't. I only see speaking in tongues with the Corinthian church, and even when you read the early church fathers, you don't see it. But normative in the sense that when Paul is talking to the Corinthians, he's assuming that these things are happening on a regular basis, and that they are to be done at a regular at regular interval intervals. In the same sense that healing was going on far more normatively and on a regular basis, then I think it happens now for the people of God in order to build that foundation for the church, for then the building of the church to be built on top. I see. I guess I just look at it differently. I would say that the Holy Spirit has been at work and hasn't stopped being at work and is in as at work differently in different cultural contexts. And I would agree with that. I would say that there's a, there's a difference in the regularity that happened when the New Testament was being written than uh, what now is happening I, now. I'm in full agreement. Now that I'm in full agreement on, particularly when we're talking about the miracles that the Bible is clearly explaining that these have been done as 
demonstrations that Jesus is who he claimed to be yes. and that the Holy Spirit has gone forth. Yes. yes. And that yeah. those sign gifts are attached to the authority of the messenger, whether that's Jesus yeah. in proclaiming his sonship or whether that's with the apostles and key individuals within the early church to attach a level of credibility to their message. And that's what I think is sometimes missed in the hypercharismatic movement is, I mean, the other day I saw there's a there was a movement within Toronto and the lady had gold dust coming off her shoes and this was being pointed to as a miracle. And my only thought was, what on earth does that prove? How does that validate anything yeah. that's yeah. a gospel proclamation yeah. or pointing back to Christ? And I think that's where the dangers can be. That is a really great point. I won't belabor this, but I'll just give two examples. Jesus does this and he explains it where you've got Mark chapter two, he forgives a man's sins where they want clearly for him to heal the paralytic. And Jesus uses a teaching moment to say, well, which one's harder? Clearly forgiving sins. But how do you know I have the power to do that? He tells the guy, get up and walk. And people are freaking out. But the biggest yeah. one, and this is the this is the crux to Christianity, is it goes all the way to the resurrection. That Jesus is saying, I have the ability to forgive sins, to restore your relationship with God, and I'm going to demonstrate it by defeating death. And this then, if I could just make this final point here, yep. this becomes significant because if you try to normalize that, which we see, people will, will try to normalize the getting people to, you know, the, the paralyzed to walk or going around in graveyards trying to pray for dead bodies coming up. And it's like, if you fall into that, I'm just telling you right now, you missed the point. As we wrap up on this topic, I hope people have just enjoyed this. I hope we've provided more clarity than confusion. And I, I want to end with a, there's a great little commentary. It's called the Teacher's Commentary. I've always enjoyed this over the years. It's by uh, Lawrence Richards. He does something here that I find really helpful, and I kind of I wanted to end our podcast on. He takes 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to 14, and he paraphrases it to really highlight Paul's arguments so that it's just condensed and, and, and clarified. And I thought that this might be a, a, a good way to end our discussion. Uh, since we don't have time to read that those full chapters, I'll read more of a fit, paraphrased, condensed version. This is how he words it. Brothers, don't view spirituality from your old pagan perspective. God is at work in all of us, but the Spirit's work is manifest in different ways. Yet it is the Spirit who shows himself behind each gift, and these expressions of his presence are dedicated to our common good. Just how he works in each individual is his choice. Actually, we Christians are the body of Christ, many parts united in one. Like parts of the human body, we each have our own functions as a hand or foot or eye or ear, and we're each necessary. No one contribution should be singled out and exalted. So you're each the body, and this is what's important. But if we were to rank gifts by their importance, tongues would hardly be at the top of the list. Really, there's a better way to measure true spirituality. Love. No gift profits a person exercising it unless he loves. You want to measure spirituality? Then look to kindness, patience, and those other practical expressions of real love. For it is love that lifts us out of childhood. Love is the mark of spiritual maturity. Focus on love and realize that the gifts used for communicating God's word should have priority when you meet. You see, intelligent speech builds up our brother. 
and it is such building up gifts that we should value. So in church, don't burst out in a tongue unless an interpretation can be given. And don't misunderstand. I speak in tongues more than all of you. I'm not rejecting this gift, but I'd rather speak five words that help someone than 10,000 words in a tongue that no one can understand. So get over your childish preoccupation with tongues. Tongues are certainly not meant to be a sign of special spirituality within the body. As that kind of sign, their only appeal might be to pagans as an identification of God's presence. In church meetings, let each one participate, but no more disorderly clamor. Take turns. God's work is marked by order, and you can control yourselves. As for the women who've been disruptive, disrupting your meetings, they especially need to learn submission. Tell them to be quiet in church and to discuss their questions with their husband at home. And if anyone there still wants to claim a special spirituality, let him recognize the fact that I speak with God's own authority. So brothers, don't forbid tongues, but do concentrate on communicating God's word in your meetings. Well, thank you listeners so much for tuning into the AC podcast. We thank you that you stuck with us for part one and part two as we had this conversation about speaking in tongues. Make sure to like and subscribe on all your favorite streaming platforms and on YouTube. And if Apologetics Canada is a ministry that has been encouraging you in any way, shape, or form, feel free to consider partnering with us in some capacity. You can always send an email at info at apologeticscanada.com. Or if you have a desire to become a donor, whether it is a one-time or monthly, you can always head to apologeticscanada.com slash donate. But until next time, join us next week when we find more things to think about. And as always, love God, love people. Bye for now. It's the AC Podcast. Podcast. Podcast.